This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Sarah Medeiros. Welcome back to EM Pulse. This month's Heartbeat was initially recorded as a Facebook Live video back in June, and you can still find it on the UC Davis Health Facebook page if you're interested. It was a beautiful sunny summer day, and we actually recorded this right on the UC Davis Aggies football field. I am here with Jeremiah Ray, who is the head team physician for UC Davis Intercollegiate Athletics. And we're going to talk about concussion. So, Jeremiah, thanks for coming. Happy to be here. So, Jeremiah, why don't we start with what's a concussion? Why do we care? Great question. In the simplest terms, a concussion is a transient disruption of brain function. And it doesn't require a hit to the head, but it just requires forces transmitted to the head. So even if someone falls down onto their knees or gets hit in the torso, if the forces go to their head, you can have forces that can result in a concussion. We don't have a lot of data to say what does that mean for lifetime. We do know that if you have a lot of hits or forces transmitted to your head, that is not good. That will result in chronic traumatic encephalopathy. What we don't know is what if you just have a few dings? That's something that we don't actually know. But what you will feel uh, if you do have a concussion, generally within hours to days, and it's not immediate, so that's one important thing, is if someone has a big hit and you're worried about a concussion, the important thing to do is to remove them from play, remove them from activity, remove them from getting hit a second time, and watch them over a 24-hour period. Now, if the following day they feel fantastic, then you can probably say they did not have a concussion. The following day, if they did have a concussion, oftentimes the symptoms will blossom and they'll feel a lot worse. They'll feel foggy, groggy, difficulty focusing, difficulty concentrating. They'll feel a little tired, maybe lethargic, headaches, head pressure. They'll describe head pressure as the very common symptom. Sometimes sensitivity to light, we call that photophobia. Sensitivity to sound, we call that phonophobia. As well as a little bit of nausea, sometimes decreased appetite, and as well as decreased sleep. Jeremiah is an emergency physician as well. He's also trained in sports medicine and ultrasound, so he's kind of the real deal. But I'll add as well that in the emergency room, a lot of people want imaging. They want to get a CT scan to look for their concussion, and you won't see it. It's not something we find on concussion. It's a clinical diagnosis with all of the symptoms that you just described. So if you're a young athlete or if you're a parent of a young athlete, you might be getting these concussions in sports and you might be really worried about when you can get back to playing again. So talk to us a little bit about how that's maybe changed recently and what the recommendations are now. So if you are a non-healthcare provider and you're worried that you, a friend or a family member has a concussion, please, please, please see a healthcare provider who's trained in diagnosing and managing concussions. Please do not diagnose or manage concussions on your own. Uh, but if you, if you are concerned and you want to look into this more, you can just Google the Sport Concussion Assessment Tool, and it's in its fifth rendition. So we love acronyms in medicine. We call it the SCAT-5, and it's free download. It's two pages front and back, and you can just kind of run through all the common symptoms of a concussion, and you can say, gosh, maybe I should go see a doctor. So you go see your doctor, you've got some concussion symptoms, and your doctor says, yeah, you should probably lay low. Are they going to tell you how long you should stay out of playing or when you should start to go back? Good question. There's a lot of variation in this, and we're getting new data, it seems like, by the month. Right now, a general rule is that if you do have a concussion, uh, you can expect to be asymptomatic on average in about 10 days. 
Some people are only symptomatic for a couple of days. Some people are symptomatic for three weeks. Everyone's different, and all of that is normal healing time. So if you do have a concussion, I think what you can, in your mind, think is, okay, probably a couple of weeks of a graded return to cognitive activity as well as a graded return to physical activity. Okay, so with your athletes here, what do you do? If an athlete gets a concussion, what's the next step? Next step is we watch them for four hours. So the old uh, policy of waking people up in the middle of the night and saying, hey, are you okay? And checking on them, totally not necessary. You watch them for four hours, and what you're watching them for is to make sure they don't have an intracranial hemorrhage. So you use the PCARN data. They've got great data to show that if you have an intracranial hemorrhage within four hours, it will present itself. So we watch athletes for four hours. After that, we let them sleep. Then what we do is the following morning, we give them the SCAT-5. It's a test, and they do some balance stuff. They do some word recall stuff. They rate their symptoms, and we let that brain recover. And when their brain is recovered and all their scores are back down to their baseline scores, their balance has returned, they're feeling normal and well, they can recall all the numbers the way they normally recall them. Then at that point, we return them to our graded activity. So we let them do light cycling from day one, and that's based off of pretty great data. In 2008, Dr. Majerski kind of introduced the sub-aerobic cycling, which augments healing. And then there's a 2016 article out of Ontario, a great prospective multi-center trial that showed that Kids who had sport-related concussions, when they did some cycling and running, they recovered twice as fast as those who did not. And so it's really the, uh, the evolving standard of care to now allow very gentle sub-aerobic activity. And you can Google the Buffalo Protocol, uh, which was adapted into the 2017 Berlin Consensus Statement. And really, most sports programs encourage a little bit of gentle cycling or running as a part of the recovery process, basically the following day after impact. So what we do is we do gentle cycling every day, and then when all their symptoms are back down to baseline, then we have a four-day tiered progression back to activity. Uh, we have them do some sprint work, a little bit of light weights, and then we have them do sport-specific cutting and then heavier resistance training. And then we have them do a non-contact practice day, and we have them do a full contact practice day. And then if all of those days feel great. They have no symptoms coming out. They just kind of move through that progression and they're cleared to play. So that old dogma of kind of hiding in a dark room for weeks until you feel better, we're not really doing that anymore. We are not. And actually the data would suggest that that slows recovery. Every cohort study in the last decade that has looked at complete rest versus gradual progression of activity shows that people feel better and recover faster, have a lower incidence of post-concussive syndrome when they are allowed to do as much as feels good for them. And I think that's huge. If you get a chance to listen to the podcast, you'll hear us talk with um, a young athlete, Cameron Wright, who's a water polo player at Berkeley. And he talks about the impact, the psychological impact on him of, you know, kind of staying out of sport for so long. So that gradual return to play gets them back in the training room, back around their peers, and they recover faster, like you said. So I wanted to dispel some myths. So you did one of them. So we don't have to wake people up when they're sleeping after they have a concussion, right? Correct. Okay. The other one I want to ask about is the second hit phenomenon. So I was always taught as an emergency physician that you really want to be careful if somebody has had a concussion because if they get another concussion within a short period after, it could be this catastrophic second hit and, um, and they could die. 
So what do we know about that now? <laughs> well, we don't know a lot. And so I want to be clear that the medical data does not have a definitive answer on this. This is a great area of debate and therefore a great area of strong opinions on either side of the debate. There are 17 cases known to man that have been attributed to second impact syndrome. And think about that. That's centuries of boxing and contact sports. I mean, that's a lot of time and a lot of hits. And we have 17 cases total that have been attributed to second impact syndrome. And autopsy reports uh, show that 16 of those 17 cases had some form of a subdural hematoma, epidural hematoma, or diffuse intracranial hemorrhage. One autopsy did not show an intracranial hemorrhage, but did show diffuse cerebral edema, which is what we're afraid of. So if you have one case of diffuse cerebral edema in the history of modern medicine, it seems like maybe it's not a true entity. Uh, Dr. McCrory out of Australia, who's one of the world's foremost experts in sports-related concussion research, firmly believes it is not its own entity. What we do know is if you get hit a second time while you're not recovered, your symptoms will certainly get much worse and they will extend much longer. And that's what I teach all of my, my varsity athletes. Is I really say, please, please, please don't hide your concussion symptoms. Because if your goal is to play your sport as well as you can, then remove yourself from sport, let it recover, return to baseline, and then you can go back out with a lot of confidence. Whereas if you are hiding symptoms and you get hit a second time, your symptoms will just get so much worse. And then they last months and months and months. And it's really not, not good for your body. That reminds me of another thing I want to talk about, which is post-concussion syndrome. So what's the difference between those sort of symptoms you might feel of a concussion a few days after and then post-concussion syndrome? So post-concussive syndrome, also known as post-concussive disorder, so PCS or PCD, is basically the same symptoms of a concussion just beyond what we would expect for the normal recovery time. And we expect people to get better within six weeks time of a concussion. And if they're not better within six weeks and they're still having those symptoms of difficulty concentrating, fatigue, uh, mood, lability, headaches, head pressure, photophobia, phonophobia, all of those things, then we call that post-concussive syndrome. Now, they're not really different than a concussion as far as how you feel, but it is really annoying for the patient because it's lasting for so long. As soon as an athlete goes beyond 10 days of having concussions, and that's when I said 90% of athletes feel better after a concussion, when they start to get into that two-week mark, they begin to do vestibular ocular rehab. And so by activating your vestibular ocular system and your balance system, you can actually help with a lot of the balance, uh, headache, and uh, visual symptoms of a concussion and hopefully speed up the recovery process. So I think step one would be referral to a physical therapist or an athletic trainer who's trained in vestibular ocular rehab. And then also I find a lot of help from my neuropsychiatric colleagues as well. They have the, the time and energy and ability to do a really long, very thorough assessment and can recommend some very nice uh, recovery tools as well. At about the two-month mark, if someone is still pretty symptomatic from a concussion, I'll then at that time obtain a non-contrast MRI to ensure that they do not have a Chiari malformation. I want to make a point. MRI is not indicated at any point in the acute concussive setting, nor is a CT scan. You get a CT scan to rule out an intracranial hemorrhage, not assist with a diagnosis of concussion. And are there things that put people more at risk for developing post-concussion syndrome? 
Yes. So we know that female gender is a risk factor. Being very young, so your prepubescent or kind of adolescent athletes are at really high risk of having prolonged symptoms. History of prior concussions, having a history of a mood disorder, history of a learning disorder, and history of migraine headaches. So now I want to talk a little bit about recovery from concussion. And um, we talked a little bit about the return to play aspect. What other things can people do to try to recover faster from concussions? I basically say if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. So a lot of people feel a lot better when they start doing that sub-aerobic cycling. So they hop on the bike, get their heart rate up to 100 to 110 for 30, 40 minutes. Nothing intense. They want to be able to carry on a conversation. But that really does seem to help a lot. I also discourage daytime napping. This is not based off of data. This is based off of personal experience and experience with the college athlete population. It seems that the people who nap in the daytime because they're feeling tired and they're not doing a whole lot of other things anyway have poor quality nighttime sleep. And that nighttime sleep really seems to be more restorative and help with the recovery. So I discourage uh, daytime napping. There's no human data to suggest any supplement, vitamin, nutrient, or pill will help with the recovery of a concussion. There is rodent data to show that high-dose omega-3s can help with some balanced symptoms. So I say, hey, if you want to take some omega-3s, you go for it. Right, there's not a lot of downsides to doing that. You can get fish breath. (laughs) That's about it. Okay, so what are the take-home points from Dr. Ray? If you are in any way concerned about a concussion, pull that friend, pull that athlete, pull that kid out of play and watch them for a day. And then the next day we'll give you the answer of if they've sustained a concussion or not. And please, please, please have a low threshold for seeing a healthcare provider who's trained in the diagnosis and management of concussions. And for all of you youth athletes who are looking to uh, play in college, play at the pro level, it is absolutely to your benefit to pull yourself out of play as soon as you think something is wrong. Because if your goal is to get to high quality, full athletic participation as soon as able, the best thing is to let you recover. I'd like to say another huge thank you to Dr. Jeremiah Ray. For a deeper dive into this topic, including more from Jeremiah, take a listen to our May episode, Breaking Out of Concussion Jail. And if you have questions for me or Dr. Ray, you can comment on the Facebook Live video on the UC Davis Health page, or you can find us on social media at Impulse Podcast, or contact us via our website, ucdavisem.com. Catch you next time.